the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. on the Central Coast. It is Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2024. I'm Dave Congleton, welcoming you to another edition of Hometown Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're here all the way till 7 o'clock, which means later on this hour, we're going to meet the next speaker being brought to town by the organization called Slow Speaks. Peggy Coteen from the Green Party at 4.05 will introduce us to the gentleman who is the Green Party candidate for the U.S. Senate in March's big election. Michelle Dostair at 5.05. We'll talk about Congress, what's happening with Congress, what's not happening with Congress. At 6.05, we mark the fifth anniversary of my open heart surgery by uh, having a conversation with the surgeon, Dr. David Canvasser. It is a Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. First up, history has been made. We got Janice Peters with us from By the Sea Productions. We're peeling her off the ceiling. She can't believe it. I just bought two tickets <laughs> to a show. He's actually going to come. <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not guaranteed I'm going to come, but I bought two tickets. <laughs> you better come. I'll be. You know, I'm, I'm making effort here. Uh, Janice, always good to see you. Good to be here. Introduce our uh, co-stars here. Well, we are doing something new at By the Sea Productions. We are actually uh, presenting a musical, the world premiere of a musical by Michael Kaplan and Mark Pietri. And we're really excited about it, so we brought them here to tell you about it. What's uh, the dates and ticket information? The dates and everything. It opens on February 23rd and plays that weekend, and then also plays the first weekend in March. How do I get my tickets? You get your tickets at buytheseatproductions.org or call 805-776-3287, and I will answer the phone. Now, the first Sunday is already sold out. Yes. The second Sunday, when I just went online, there were seven seats left. I took two, so only five left. Okay. So that's going to sell out. Yeah. I'd be getting my tickets now. So everybody should definitely order their tickets now or, or get them online. We do sell out. Gentlemen, nice to see you both again. Thanks for coming in. How'd this happen? How'd you hook up with Janice? Thanks, Dave. Great to see you again. I'm so glad Janice is here. I wasn't prepared to come up with any of that information, so thank you very much. Um, Hopefully you're going to be there. This is, this is the third show that uh, Mark and I have written together. The first one was called uh, We're Canceling Cable and Other Empty Threats, and then we did one called Danny Come Home. We've been writing songs together on and off. God, we've known each other 10 years now. Uh, and so a couple of years ago, I was looking at a stack of material and there was just an obvious theme, which was romance, you know, ones that work and ones that don't, ones yeah. that uh, leave you sky high and uh, ones that break your heart. And here we are and, on Valentine's Day. Exactly right. So uh, we started, I started, you know, sort of structuring a show around that and also writing some scenes and writing some monologues. And Mark and I just thought, 
this is a show that's going to have four performers and Mark on piano. It's really portable, and we'd love to kind of move it around the county and play it at multiple venues, but we were going to need somewhere to start. And I've been living in Morro Bay for a while. Uh, I've seen shows uh, at uh, By the Sea Productions. I thought it was the perfect little theater. And uh, I reached out to Janice and uh, said, okay, what do you think? And fortunately, uh, they had uh, a couple of weekends where they were going to be dark, where they could uh, slot us in. There you go. Mark, what's your version of the story? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. I don't know if it's fit for for, uh, a family Mm -hmm. time. But uh, gosh, Michael and I have been playing. He's right. We've been writing music since uh, 2012. And um, we actually met online. On uh, Craigslist in the music in the musician section, really, yeah. yeah. And Michael posted this thing, so I had always wanted to write musicals, but I was not really good at, at um, or didn't feel music. comfortable. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't only I can't spell a G yet. I'm almost there, but I, I didn't feel strong writing lyric, and I didn't feel and I've like I said, I've we've all written our bomb movies, yeah. so I've known how to write, but I never felt good enough to write a, a, a meaningful lyric. And so I'm going through the musician section, and there's Michael's post saying, I've written half a musical, and I need somebody to finish it. I said, well, how are you going to finish a musical without a composer? And so we got together, and we put together Danny Come Home was actually the, the first one we started working together. Which is apparently inspired by me. It is. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I know. I try. I tried real hard to get you to come see it, Dave, because, you know, I mean, how often do you, on your own, break into song? We, we had an actor look just like you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so no, Ma- what Mark is saying is true. I posted that ad in Craigslist. Uh, four people responded. Uh, someone in Hawaii, someone in Czechoslovakia, and oh someone in San Francisco. And the three of them all said, I love it. What is it? How do I get paid? So I knew that they were real musicians. Right. And, uh, and then <laughs> this one guy from San Luis Obispo who said, what are you doing writing a musical without a composer? So he's my guy. Mm. And uh, we met over coffee and had a meeting of minds. So is this an actual musical or is it like a cabaret style thing? Exactly. It is it's a review. It's a collection of original songs and monologues and short scenes. Um, and yeah, you know, with a small cast kind of done uh, cabaret style. And Mark, you're, or excuse me, Michael's directing. Yep. Uh, who's, who are the four people? Well, we've got uh, Kelly Fitzgerald McGraw, Richie Bermudez Hills, Sholly Von Stein, and then the two of us. And we only have two names each. So we've, we've been pretty intimidated by the whole thing. Janice, you've seen this? No. You haven't seen no, it? No, I haven't seen it. I've been too busy working on other things and haven't been to the rehearsal, but I'm going to this week. Well, when they have the next one. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I can speak for myself, it's a good show. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It, the music is so much fun. I had so much fun writing it with Michael and putting everything together. And our cast of four are amazing. Each one of them, a brilliant singer, minus one, but... He makes up for it in the dancing that he's that he's been ruining. So I, I was not supposed to be in a day, but we we uh, we lost someone. I decided to step up. So hey, you broke up. What's that? You broke up. You lost somebody. I lost somebody up. exactly yeah, in, just, in the spirit of the yeah, show. Yeah, 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 one of the actors <laughs> broke up with us, yeah. and uh, and so they ended up with me on the rebound. So this is about first crushes, missed chances, heartbreak, soulmates, wedlock, and gridlock. All original songs. It takes yes. two brand new songs about same old love. Hmm. 
How about getting my tickets, Janice? They're going to buy tickets at buytheseatproductions.org or 805-776-3287. Shows are Friday and Saturday nights at 7 o'clock, Sunday at 3 o'clock, although the two matinees... One is sold out. The other one is about to be sold Darn out. Darn close, yes. I'd be getting those tickets right now. Absolutely. Why'd you want this? Well, you know, we have a very small theater. You haven't been there yet, but when you see... I'm coming. I just bought the two <laughs> tickets. I'm we have coming. a small stage, but we just had it recovered, um, so it doesn't make as much noise as it used to, and we were a little worried about having any kind of dancing on it, and there's not room for an orchestra, so a musical that has just a pianist is perfect for us, and that's what they presented to us, and we said, yeah, we'd love to premiere it. That's exciting. So it's new for us and new for them. And I know Janice had seen at least one of my shows. Oh, yeah. I've seen all of your other ones, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love Danny Come Home. I don't think I have seen uh, anything at Slow Rep since last June. So it's not just you I'm ignoring. Thank you. Right? I've just not been going out much. Okay. But I'm coming. We've lured you. I know. This is this is my fifth original show on the Central Coast, and I finally got you to show up. So okay. And now I'm going to stop writing. You know. I mean, I've just basically achieved my end. It's all downhill from here. He threatens. He threatens. All right. We'll come back and chat some more with our friends from By the Sea Productions. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live. We're local. We're hometown. You have landed on the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Our friends from By the Sea Productions are in the studio. Janice Peters, let's remind folks what is happening with It Takes Two. Well, By the Sea Productions is premiering the world first performance of It Takes Two, an original musical review by Michael Kaplan and Mark Pietri on February 23rd through 25th and March 1st through 3rd. With both Sundays, um, one all sold out and one almost sold out. So get your tickets quick at buytheseaproductions.org or 805-776-3287. And on the horizon, you're doing talk radio. Yes. Really? <laughs> well, you're swinging from one to the next. Yeah, yeah. That one's going to be interesting. Chris Barnes is directing that one for us. Hmm. And that'll be in uh, March. All right. So is this age appropriate or should I leave the kids home? You know, it's uh, as far as language goes, it's fine. But we've got a lot of mature themes going on here. I mean, we sing a song about marriage called the no sex tango. Okay, I don't know that the eight year olds are going to be yucking it up in the audience, you know, so I mean, you might want to think about the 12 year olds. Maybe they'll be hip to it, you know, give me some more titles. The No Sex Tango, what else you got? Oh, we got a song about, you You. you know, those those guys who sit there in the relationship and go, I'm fine, everything's fine, and you know something's churning inside. So we've got Kelly uh, Fitzgerald McCross singing a song called Frightened of the Dark, uh, you know, about guys who just, you know, they close their eyes and they just start to sort of freak out about their lives. Uh, we've got an entire uh, suite of songs connected about online dating. A suite. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's called it's called our online dating suite. A song called uh, the Ten Minute Coffee. Uh, a song called Emoji about pretty much conducting a relationship through your phone. Uh, a song called Door in My Face about when you have a real in person date and somebody closes the door in your face and you know that's the uh, end of the evening. Uh, so yeah, those all tie together. 
But is it, it? It's about marriage too, right? It's not oh, just. Yeah. It's just not dating. Yeah. No. 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 There's okay. uh, there's songs about dating. There's songs about breaking up. There's songs about marriage. Um, I get to do a duet with Charlie von Stein called "When We Meet," which is a very sad song about people where the you know the fire has just gone out, and what do you do, and how do you fake it, and you lie there in bed in the morning just thinking, okay, you know, do I fight for this? Do I run? Is you know, this how a comedy? I, this? I thought this was a comedy. That's a comedy piece. <laughs> That's a comedy piece. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got water pistols. It's you know. Well, it's funny because more and more people keep popping out of the bed giving advice to me. No, no, <laughs> no that's not what happens. Actually, I mean the thing about you this should. show. You should. Is that's, that's, that's actually a pretty good bit. <laughs> the yeah. thing about, that's a pretty good bit. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this show is it's much more of a mix than I've done in the past, Dave. I mean, there's a lot of there's a, there's melancholy stuff mixed in with comedy because really, I mean, that's how relationships fly. So are the two of you drawing on past relationships for this? Mark hasn't had one in 50 years, so I'm pretty much doing the heavy lifting for us. So I write the happy music. Okay. <laughs> right, exactly. And I sit around moping at the yeah. keyboard. Yeah, right. Well, it's interesting we have two guys doing this. Excuse me? It's interesting that we have two guys writing the songs. And Rogers and Hammerstein. Giving Murder their perspective. Yeah. Steven Sondheim. He writes with himself, but he was with Leonard Bernstein doing West Side Story. I mean, I can only think of Burt Bacharach and Carol Bayer Sager, you know, yeah. like doing a show together. And it was yeah. not their best. What's that? It was not their best. No, not their best, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to write a musical by yourself. And if you look at Sondheim's history, he was working with other people while he was studying music. And afterwards, he said, I want to start writing for myself. And that's what he did. But he's rare. Yeah. So how's working with Michael made you better, Mark? Michael's patience. Because when I first started, I wanted to write music, and I was scared to write music. I've been a musician all my life. I schooled as a concert player. I came out a jazz player. I've done all kinds of work in New York City, and I've done music direction for community theater all, all over the place. But writing my own stuff, it had its own uh, stigma. And I started writing, and it was not very good. And it got better, and it got better. And now I think I'm writing tunes that are actually listenable. And that's been Good. a long that's been a long trek. Cool, Michael. Yeah. How has Mark shaped you? You know, uh, Mark has given me uh, a great deal of confidence in in the melodic realm. I mean, if I write lyrics, I'm making up a tune, and I would always just consider it like a uh, a scratch track. But when we were working on Danny Come Home and working on a particular song, I sang it to him what I had in mind. And he said, well, you know, that that could work, but let me do this to it. And then we do this. And suddenly it was just jumping off the page. And I thought, OK, I do have musical ideas. I don't know how to write music, but I can bring them to Mark and he can reject them. He can accept them. He always makes them better. And that's just an exciting process for me. Hmm. So how did you if you haven't seen the play, how did you come to pick it? We talked to them about it, and, and I'd seen their previous shows, okay. so I knew. Um, and just we were excited about being able to do something musical. It's not something we can often do on our stage. So it was, and to have the premiere of it, I just think it's really exciting. Well, and she's got plausible deniability. You know, if we bomb, she can I say, hey, I never you saw it. I didn't, you know? see it. <laughs> didn't see it. I should have had Rhonda come. She saw it. <laughs> but it was enough to get Dave Congleton to buy tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Must be good. That's it, our reason for showing. Up today, Dave would never know? lead us astray. All right, so you run for two weeks out in Morro Bay, then what do you do with it takes two? 
Well, after that, I'm hoping that uh, we might be able to present it somewhere in the city of Slow and maybe somewhere up in North County, you know, move it around a little bit. I haven't started to reach out and talk to wineries and other places that have pianos where we might be able to perform it. But that would be my hope that over the course of the year, we can do it a few times and that if we have a successful run at By the Sea Productions, there's gonna be word of mouth. There'll be people who say, oh gosh, I missed it. I wish I could have seen it. And then lo and behold, it pops up in the city of Slow. And then you can bring back Danny Come Home. Yeah, so we can in, see that in the big budget version. <laughs> all the money that's going to be made from this is going to go. So, is there a big leap between uh, Danny Come Home and It Takes Two in terms of your songwriting? I do think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, one one was Mark, a, Mark was hesitating. One was a story show. <laughs> I'm humble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I think the the level of songwriting is just much more sophisticated now. That's what happens when you keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> one would hope. Yeah. Uh, Janice, let's remind folks as we start to wrap things up what's happening with It Takes Two. Okay. It's being presented at By the Sea Productions at 545 Shasta Avenue in Morro Bay on the weekends of February 23rd and March 1st. And tickets are available at bythesearproductions.org or 805-776-3287. And we look forward to seeing you. And if you're even thinking of going to the Sunday matinees, you better be buying now. Right. One is sold out. One is almost sold out. Yes. So is this coming together? I mean, you got another week and a half before you open. You're the it's director. Fabulous. It's yeah. coming together? Yeah. We're making it sound too easy. Huh? No, we've been working on it for two months now. Yeah. No. At, at my house, in my living room. And um, then we got to put it up on stage, and getting it up on stage has been a, a, a wonderful experience. But what that, what's that like, Mark? Because when you put something on stage, we've all written screenplays that have been produced. Is it like what you expected it to be when it was in your head? Yes. Because when you're, when you're looking at film, there's too many people involved. When you're looking at a stage, it's just the, the actors and the director. It's a lot less people involved. And you have a finite space that you're working with. And you get live performance. There's nothing better than live performance. To, to feel the energy of, of a singer or to feel the energy of the musician, it's a good experience. And it's a good time. Come on down. All right. What's your, what's your movie? Angels with Angles, the and, George Burns Afterlife Saga. And what's yours? Illegally Yours, starring Rob Lowe as Ryan O'Neill in uh, What's Up, Doc? <laughs> Mine is Authors Anonymous, starring Kaylee Cuoco. So yeah. you can get all three back to back. Maybe we're going to do something at the Bay Theater. We're going to have time. a triple feature of the Bay Theater, you know, local bomb screenplays. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Uh, all right, uh, Janice, final thoughts? Final thoughts. Just we're excited about doing this, and I'm excited about seeing it. I know you're excited about seeing it. I Dave, bought two so tickets. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, can I can I scalp those? <laughs> no. Yeah, you can. Mark, I don't know. We haven't mentioned this that two tickets would be a great Valentine's Day gift. Yeah. Right, right. It's all about. I already love. gave her a diamond necklace. No. <laughs> Mark, final thoughts. Come see the show. Okay, it's a lot of fun. Michael. I'm terrified about dancing on stage, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and he okay. can do it. He's getting better. All right. <laughs> Thank you, folks. Thanks, Dave. Off Thank we go. You. We got news, traffic, weather. Up next, we'll check in with our friends from Slow Speaks. We're live. We're local. You're listening to The Dave Congleton Show.
right, Craig, thank you. Up next on Hometown Radio, we put the spotlight on our friends at an organization called Slow Speaks. From time to time, they bring in guest speakers and give them a chance to address the community on a variety of issues, such as the case that's happening next Tuesday, February 20th at 7 o'clock. Joining us in studio, representing Slow Speaks, we welcome back Terry McRae. Terry, good afternoon. Good to see you, Dave. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming in. And before we bring Eugene into the conversation, let's remind folks about Slow Speaks. What's the purpose of the group? Okay, the purpose of the group, what we're doing is uh, sourcing speakers to come into town um, from across the country and uh, to give us an unfiltered uh, perspective on uh, what mainstream media provides us. And uh, ultimately, we'd like to start some sort of a co-op, more of a true democracy type uh, beginning for food, housing, and work. All right. Uh, Why Eugene? What was him uh, about his background that you wanted to bring him to town? He's uh, very active um, in the uh, protesting and breakthrough news um, with uh, uh, social justice and peace. Um, equal rights, those sorts of uh, speaking events that he's done. So this is going to be Tuesday night, 7 o'clock at the Unitarian Universalist. That is the church on Lawton Avenue right across the street from Meadow Park. Meadow Park, yep. Can't miss it. Any fee to come in? No, there's no fee. No. What kind of what kind of people do you end up getting? Just members of Slow Speaks, or have you been able to get community members as well? Um, no, most of the people we get are from uh, elsewhere in, in the States. Um, and a variety of issues. We've had um, you know, people that come in and talk about uh, democracy. What what sort of democracy do we have in the country? And those sorts. Is there going to be a Q and A? Is there going to be a chance to interact with the speaker a- afterwards? After he speaks, we'll have a Q and A session. All right. So uh, Terry's hanging out with us. Let us officially welcome to this broadcast Eugene Perrier, uh, journalist, author, activist. Host of Breakthrough News. Eugene, nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to meet you as well. And really happy to be here and really excited to uh, be out there next week. So flesh out your resume for us a little bit, Eugene. Talk more about your background. Yes, of course. So I'm talking to you now from New York, where I currently live in the Bronx. I lived here for about four years, but I'm originally from Virginia, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, yes, the infamous Charlottesville of uh, the 2017 events where I grew up and, you know, that I was able to, I lived in D.C. for about 15 years, basically. I went to Howard University there in D.C. Uh, and then stayed there for the next 15 years, as it were. And, you know, I am sort of currently a journalist, which I've been doing for about five or six years, but I, I don't know, I've done so many different things under the sun, but I think a lot of how people have, have come across me at different times is since I was about 16, um, I've done a lot of different social justice activism, you know, whether it was around the Iraq war, the death penalty, police brutality, uh, working with what we call in D.C. returning citizens, people coming out of prison around the discrimination and attempts and the struggles people have getting jobs and trying to make that a little bit easier. Uh, a number of different fronts, a number of different things. Uh, in 2013, it took me to writing a book called Shackled in Chains um, about mass incarceration in the prison system in America. So always been a pretty big focus for me, at least in that regard, uh, on, on both counts, really, sort of struggling 
and acting and, you know, hopefully making a difference around some of these key issues for the black community here in the U.S., but also, of course, trying to connect that and bring that together with the issues of all other people who are struggling with issues, whether it's here or abroad. So yeah. now I work for Breakthrough News, which is a social justice-oriented journalism outfit. I do a weekly show, live show on YouTube. I do a couple other different little uh, pieces as well. But, you know, our sort of mission uh, as we say, it's to sort of tell the untold, to try to bring to light, if not stories people have never heard, angles that are, are not as covered in the, the mainstream media. So it's a little bit of uh, who I am and, yeah. and where I'm from. Yeah, do you have a website, Eugene? Yes. So you can find us on Breakthrough News at just breakthroughnews.org. So breakthroughnews.org, and that's got all of our content links to all of our social media, links to our YouTube, all of that, very easy to find. I don't have a personal website, and I'm only on one form of social media, but you can find me on Twitter, or X, or whatever we want to call it now, at Eugene yeah. Per Year. It's my name, Eugene Per Year. So, yeah. Uh, P-U-R-Y-E-A-R is how Eugene spells his last name. Just on a, a side question, you mentioned the book, uh, Shackled and Chain, Mass Carceration in Capitalist America. That came out in 2013. So here we are 11 years later. Anything change? <laughs> Sadly, and I'm only laughing because you got to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah. Not that much. I mean, yeah. you know, the thing that has changed, I would say, between now and then, is at the very least there's more of a national conversation around it. There's more of a discussion around how we're addressing the issues of quote-unquote crime, moving away from mass incarceration. But I think what we've seen over the past year is how quickly the backsliding can happen. And every, you know, the big leaps forward the conversation has taken after Ferguson, after Baltimore, during 2020, you know, are now being eroded in the context of what's happened in the past couple of years. 2021, 2022. So, you know, sadly, we still have the most people in prison of any country on Earth. You know, roughly 5% of the world's population is the U.S., but 25% of the world's prison population. That hasn't really changed at all. And I think many of the drivers pushing people there uh, hasn't changed enough. So, you know, sadly, the book is still almost as relevant as the day I, I wrote it, other than the fact that I don't think this is small, that at least then it was you know, barely anyone was talking about it. At least now millions of people are talking about it, caring about it, and trying to make a difference. All right, so fair enough. Uh, Tuesday night, you're going to be speaking here in San Luis Obispo. It looks like the topic for your presentation is from Birmingham to Bethlehem, the importance of black and Palestinian resistance today. So give us an overview of what you're going to be talking about, Eugene. Yeah, so thanks for asking. And, you know, obviously it's Black History Month in, in February, and I, I want to really kind of link a few issues. The contemporary piece that I think a lot of people are, are seeing very clearly right now, I mean, there, I mean, there's all sorts of people who obviously have pretty much every possible background who are very upset uh, with President Biden and his policies in Palestine. But, you know, I think one of the maybe to some people more surprising ones are the area where he touts himself as the strongest, you know, amongst black voters uh, with the black clergy is becoming an area of great resistance to him on, on this fact. 2,000 black clergy, including many prominent people, for instance, have signed a letter calling for uh, a ceasefire. There are many people in many cities that normally like to host the president in election years who are saying they would never do so. So, you know, what's really behind that? I mean, the young people who are coming out and, and saying, you know, as black Americans, as young people who've been involved in the movement, you know, against police brutality, against prison, like this is a crucial issue, Palestine for them, and it's, it's making them question their choices. So I want to talk about, you know, that, I think, in the context of it and what it means for where 
the country could or should be going, but also to give people the historical backgrounds of, of what's going on here, that it's not at all random that this is cropping up and that there's a long, long history, you know, really going back to the 1950s, of relationships between African Americans here in the United States pushing for civil rights, uh, and those in Palestine and really the Middle East more broadly, um, you know, pushing for their own rights in, in their own regard and some, you know, interesting historical anecdotes. I think there's some interesting historical maybe controversies involving different individuals who are bold-faced names in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, others like that. Right. Um, but I think overall an important story about uh, that under that really gives you the undercurrents of, I think, a lot of what's moving, you know, on a day-to-day basis here in terms of where we're going, not just in our politics, with our nation uh, and its own morality. So hoping to dig into that history, you know, some of it might be known to people, but also hoping a lot of it will be, you know, or maybe not hoping, but I know it will undoubtedly be new information for a lot of people, and I want to also honor some of the names that people have never heard on this topic, but who played a big role contemporarily at the time. So that's a little bit of, of what I'm playing. That's a lot. All right, Terry, you're the one bringing him here. Why is this message important to San Luis Obispo? What are you hoping people take away from his presentation? Well, to have an understanding <clears throat> that we may not uh, receive in the mainstream media to give us something uh, different with a true history that's not filtered. And uh, I think with his background, um, you know, hopefully we can get more people to understand the alternative uh, version. Uh, Eugene, follow up on that, please, because if Terry's right, what is it that the mainstream media is missing, either about Palestine or about what's happening with uh, black folks in this country today? What is it that the mainstream media is ignoring? Well, you know, I think there's a couple big things. I mean, I think on Palestine in and of itself, it's maybe less they're ignoring it and more the way that they're framing it, um, which is, you know, oftentimes it's subtle. But I think there are so many subtle value judgments that are baked into a lot of the mainstream coverage that assumes that the Israeli position is sort of, you know, inherently more uh, defensible than the Palestinian position, that there's somehow, uh, you know, a level that there's no level of equivalence or, or even relationship between the two, and that one side should be believed basically unequivocally, and the other side should always be questioned, uh, you know, by anything they say at any time, and that ultimately, you know, there's a certain level of, of, of justness even to some of the worst things we're seeing. So I think that's one piece. But I also think as it relates to the black community, I think we're missing a lot of things the mainstream is. I think one of the big things that's being missed that this is not the only example of, but speaks to in a big way, is the main mainstream narrative. And it's really started in a big way in 2020 with uh, President Biden defeating Bernie Sanders in the primary, is the idea that black voters in particular are like deeply conservative and are somehow you know, the more progressive trends in society are so out of step when it's certainly not borne out by, you know, any number of figures, polling or different things like that. Um, but I think it also just is, does a disservice to the sort of particular role that I think has moved the country in a more progressive direction from the very beginning, coming from the black community. And I think understanding that issues like Palestine, issues overall of, you know, what might be called in some circles, international solidarity or, or, you know, wanting to bring other people's struggles in, in connection to the ones that we have here in the United States is something that's always given, you know, life to the black movement of African-Americans in this country around civil rights, around other issues, was the ability to make connections and make durable relationships across borders around people with similar concerns. 
um, as a part of our, our own struggle. And that's the same thing that's happening now. And that's partially why I think the other piece now in here that the media is getting wrong is the idea that this isn't durable and the idea that by the time you get to November, people will have forgotten. And in the sense that it's just really being driven by terrible images people are seeing on social media, which to some degree it is, of course. But, you know, there's a deeper relationship here um, that goes beyond just sort of the immediate spectator news watching aspect of it that's driving this anger and this 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 dissatisfaction with the white house and you know driving people to potentially question what they're going to do in the fall so it's not as ephemeral as i think it's often being presented so i think those are some of the things that are that are really being missed and a lot of what you know people are being either forced to consume or just happen to all right we are in conversation in studio joining me is terry mccray he represents a local nonprofit called uh, Slow Speaks. Their next speaker is joining us by phone from New York, Eugene Puryear, a journalist, author, activist, not short on offering an opinion, that's for sure. Uh, we'll come back remind you of the key information and chat more with my guests. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio. All right, Terry McRae, let's remind folks how people can come here, Eugene, per year on Tuesday nights. Okay, it's going to be at the Unitarian Universalist of San Luis Obispo, and that's on 2201 Lawton Avenue, which, as you mentioned earlier, that it's right across the street from Meadow Park. Meadow Park. Can't miss it. Free, open to the public. Right. Going to be uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesday night, and there will be a chance for a Q&A. Right. Uh, as we continue with Eugene, uh, let's take a call. we got Jack in San Luis. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dave. Uh, hey. And I just picked up uh, the conversation, but I was going to ask, and I, and I don't have an opinion, but I was just wondering what your guests thought of what I think is a, a, a dichotomy within the or a division within the African-American community around the issue of Palestine. It seems to me that younger people are pro-Palestine, maybe older progressive African-Americans, and I'm just kind of, that's a big statement, are maybe more supportive of the Jewish movement because voting rights drives and things going way back into the 50s and 60s were largely um, largely staffed and funded by uh, uh, the Jewish community. Well, hang on, Jack. Yeah, let's let's hear from our guest. What do you say, Eugene? Well, first of all, Jack, thank you for the question. Really appreciate it, and I think it's a great question to ask. I'll add a couple. I'll just give a couple points. One, I think your your perception is not entirely wrong. I think the biggest divide on Palestine in all communities, not a doubt, is definitely age. So, for sure, the percentage of young folks in the black community in every community who are are very pro Palestinian is significantly higher. You know, I think there's a really interesting story. I don't want to go that deep into, but this is why folks should come if they get a chance to come out next Tuesday um, about this exact issue and the history of what took place, especially in 1967 with the Six-Day War, which created a big split in the civil rights movement. And so I think for older people on this issue uh, who have that history, who are part of that movement, a lot of where they fall to death, fall today and where it might be a little bit more divided than young people is very much based on where they fell at that time, the relationship to what was happening in the Middle East, to what was happening in Vietnam, the differences between some of the younger activists then and some of the not that old but slightly older activists then. So a lot of really interesting history around that moment, especially in 67. So I do think the age divide is, not, is, is definitely not a misperception, um, I don't know how, you know, when you look at the polls, it's not necessarily that 
different um, than any other community in that regard. But I do think what we can see from the faith community is a lot of, of the older clergy are very moved to take a position at least in favor of a ceasefire uh, and for more different pieces that has a deep relationship to also to the history of black liberation theology, which is sort of separate from, from some of these historical aspects and brings its own kind of logic to bear. What else, Jack? No, it's an, it's an interesting discussion. Uh, I re- I'm sad, sad, sad that I'm not going to be able to attend uh, next Tuesday. I'm going to be out of town, but uh, good luck. I think it's a worthy discussion. Thank you. I'm glad you called, Jack. Thank you. Is this going to be recorded, Terry? Can... I, I don't believe so, so. no. Right. We're going to make a recording this time. We have in the past, but this one... We'll I make it a goal it for future times. Yeah. By yeah. the way, how can somebody join Slow Speaks? Well, they can They can see us if they do a search on the web, um, Slow Speaks, and you need to be sure and put the exclamation point on that, and uh, you, that'll lead you to our Facebook page. And you can see the other speakers that we've had in town, and some of them are recorded. Uh, the last one that we had, a Brian Becker, that's on there. Click the link, and you'll get an hour plus of of what he was speaking about. All right, so this is a free and open presentation Tuesday night, 7 o'clock at the Unitarian Universal Fellowship right there across from Meadow Park in San Luis Obispo with journalist, author, and activist Eugene Perrier. Guy uh, sounds pretty sharp. So uh, bottom line it for us, please, Eugene. What's the call to action? What is it that you want people to do? The call to action is very straightforward, and we'll repeat it next Tuesday, and that is I hope that people, however they can, Certainly, you know, writing your elected officials, calling them, whatever it is, going out to a protest, you know, just talking to your friends, all those things combined, demanding an immediate ceasefire and an end to U.S. aid uh, for this genocide, for this war. And overall, for the the project uh, itself, the, the, the overall issue that we're facing here did not start on October 7th. This is something that's been going on for, you could argue, 116 years, maybe 75 uh, and there's not going to be any stop to this cycle of violence until there's a change uh, on the part of the United States, which is, uses its money, uses its influence, uses its weapons to put its thumb on the scale and prevent any real conversation or discussion of peace in the immediate or in the long term. So I hope folks will, will, will stand up and be counted on this need to demand an immediate, immediate ceasefire and an end to USA. What keeps us from doing that? I think the main thing that keeps us from doing that is the mentality of our politicians who overall are in favor and have been since the beginning of the role Israel plays in the region. I mean, certainly Harry Truman used to talk about this very openly, but our own President Biden said in the 80s, for instance, that if there wasn't an Israel, the U.S. would have to create one because we need someone to back our interests. But I think those of us who follow politics know a lot of times the politicians when they say our interests, they mean the interests of the people donating to their campaigns. And at the end of the day, having a country that's willing to do whatever those folks think is right regionally in terms of who to hate, who to fight, who to go against um, in a critically important economic part of the world, uh, that works for them. And I think that a lot of these folks are more than happy to keep that system going. That's another sign of the need to really make some big changes in our politics overall if we want to see some changes to these kind of policies. Let me sneak out a call from Danny in Napalmo. Hey, Danny. Hi. Hi, Real quick, I've read the definition in the in the dictionary of genocide, and there's millions more Palestinians today than there was in '67. So, how could you keep on saying that this is genocide? Thank you. All right. Thanks for the question, Danny. I got about a minute, please, to address this, Eugene. 
Yeah, sure. Well, we're talking very specifically right now about what's happened since October 7th. And I think when you look at the definition of what a genocide is, which is the direct attempt to target an entire people and destroy them, that is definitely what's happening. Um, if we want to apply that to what's happened in the previous 75 years, I think we could still make a case, but I think what we're talking about right now is what's happening since October 7th, and everyone from Eugene Perrier to the International Court of Justice is saying that this falls within the remit, uh, at least the remit to be adjudicated, of what is considered genocide, the direct targeting of a people as a people because of who they are uh, to prevent them you know, from being able to live on their land. By the way, how do we find Breakthrough News? You can find us at BreakthroughNews.org. That's the easiest way, and it'll take you everywhere in terms of our social media. All right, Terry, one last time, please. What's happening Tuesday night? It's, uh, well, Eugene's coming into town to speak at the Unitarian Universalist facility um, at uh, 2201 Lawton Avenue in San Luis Obispo. 7 o'clock, free, open to the public. Going to be some Q&A afterwards. I got about 45 seconds for a final thought, Eugene. Sure sounds like you're going to give an interesting presentation Tuesday night. Well, my only final thought is I hope everyone who can can come out Tuesday night really excited to give the talk, really excited to take your questions and have a really great back and forth. I think that it's possible to change anything that is going wrong, but only if people act together in events like this or how we get those things started. So really excited to be out in San Luis Obispo for my first time ever next week. And what kind of reaction do you normally get to this presentation? Uh, you know, usually positive, but, you know, hey, there's there's room for all views in this world. So I'm happy for anyone who disagrees to also be there. All right, Mr. Perrier, thanks for joining us. Have a safe trip out to San Luis Obispo. Right on. Thank you guys so much. All right, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Uh, so, uh, Terry, how do people get involved with Slow Speaks? They uh, do a search online. It's, it's a Facebook page. Um, if you do a, a Slow Speaks exclamation point search on the web, it'll get you to the Facebook page. Anybody and, can join. Uh, anyone can join yeah it's a part of the speaking group so you don't have but, your next meeting schedule yet do you no we don't we're uh seeking out additional speakers and uh looking to put together a uh, you know an a, a initial group of people to try and see whether or not we can get some sort of a co-op to take care of people their well, work, good luck home and food i think it's an interesting idea keep us posted keep us in the loop okay off we go Thanks, we got Dave. news traffic weather four o'clock hour starts now The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.